Hi, this is Craig Valentine from TurbulenceTrain.com and TTMembers.com, and I'm with Alan Cosgrove of AlanCosgrove.com. Alan, how do you spell your name? <laughs> it's uh, a Scottish spelling, Craig. It's A-L-W-Y-N-C-O-S-G-R-O-V-E.com, or you can just go to CosgroveFitness.com. After having my name butchered so many times, I got the other URL. <laughs> Good idea. All right, so... Um, First of all, everyone just wants to know how you're doing with your health, and uh, I also re- read one of your old blog posts that said you wanted to do 250 workouts this year. Are you still uh, you still up to, to speed on that, or what? Yeah, I, uh, I think that, well, first of all, my, my health is um, so far so good. My, my stem cell transplant was a little over a year ago, and... I mean, it, it was a pretty severe treatment, and it, it left its mark, but overall, I'm I'm on my on my way back. Uh, you know, my fitness is returning, not not as good as I would like it be, but I, I mean, I don't think I'd ever be satisfied. As far as the the workouts today, I finished workout 169. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. So I think that some you it's good to set uh, qualitative goals with your training and your finances, but sometimes there's just like an easy goal to hit is I'm going to go to the gym 250 times this year. And yeah. like if all else fails and you know I can't follow a certain program or I have to back off and I can't achieve goals, I can still do 250 sessions. So uh, I'm right on. I'm I'm a little ahead, but I'm pretty much right on track. So 21 workouts a month, uh, you know, which is about uh, four or five each week. Yeah. And what do you count like your uh, uh, whatever martial arts and stuff you you do? No, I I count anything that's uh, it's a term I got from Doctor Phil. I count anything that's intentional exercise. So okay. if I go sparring or something, I don't I don't count it as that because there's some technical work there. And if I just go for a walk uh, with the the intentions of getting somewhere, I don't count it. But if I do a, an interval training session or a or a uh, weight training session or I I do a kettlebell workout where the the purpose of I, I started with doing an exercise session in mind, then then it counts. Okay, great. And then, uh, so what kind of program are you using? Were you using Jay's stuff for a while, or did you switch, or you just kind of... Yeah, it's, I, I'm a big fan. I don't think anybody should write their own programs. I think you uh, you, you tend to, to favor things you like, and I think it's good to have another expert show you things. So the start of the year, Jason Ferugia, uh and when I say have someone else design your programs, I think you should still have a say in them and, and give feedback. You know, it's a, a process more than an actual prescription. So uh, Jason did uh, them pretty much to start with, and they evolved there. And uh, some of the guys from Core Performance, the athletes' performance guys in Arizona, they helped yep. me with with some. And when I was just back from Scotland, and I was. I met with uh, Nick Grantham there, who works with a lot of professional uh, uh, soccer players, and okay. he was showing me some stuff. So it kind of it's a real sort of eclectic approach. I don't we've talked about this before. I tend not to favor a style of training uh, more than I I favor things. I mean, I I'm aware that the interval training works better than than steady state cardio. But when I first came out of the hospital, I, there's, there's absolutely no way I could have done any kind of cardio really so you have to be aware of things so uh, 
there's a lot of people helping me that I'm I'm uh, happy to recognize that uh, this has been a my recovery has been a, a team effort. And uh, what do you do for the kettlebell stuff? Because I'm playing around with them once in a while too, because I'm doing the RKC thing. So what do you do? Do you have uh, do you go to classes or what do you do for that? Yeah, there's a uh, one of my my clients, uh, Felicia O, who's a jiu-jitsu black belt, is a uh, an RKC, and she taught a class at the the martial arts gym that I go to. And sometimes it's nice as a as a guy who spends most of his time writing programs for other people to just go and be a student and have someone else, uh, you know, tell you the workout. And Felicia did that and showed me a bunch of stuff. And uh, I'd always been, I'd always, I had a, a couple of pairs at my gym, and uh, as a result, I bought, a, I think I bought five, five pairs for the gym, five or six pairs at different weights. And uh, I think it really has, it's the high-repetition ballistic stuff, the sort of swings and snatches, it really comes into its own. Uh, when you... But like anything else, when you get be beyond, the, the, there's the hype when everyone thinks it's the answer to everything, and then there's the backlash to the hype when people think it's useless. And once you get beyond all of that, you start seeing that what you have is a a real useful tool for a, for a lot of things. Uh, I, I think they're they're a useful thing. So I do a lot of um the I, I use it as an interval training tool a lot. Like I'll do a you know, 10 swings and, you know, rest for a minute and continue that for 10 rounds, which ends up being like a 10-minute workout, uh, or do some other things. But I, there's there's a skill component to it, which attracts me, that you can get better at the lifts, you know, same with Olympic lifting, that it's not just always going heavier, you know, that there are some technical things to it. But yeah. I, I really enjoy it. I think it's a... I think we're... It's going to become an underutilized tool soon. The the overreaction is over. I'm entering the underreaction phase, uh, but it's it's a good tool. I mean, like I said, I can have any equipment that I want in my gym, and I have uh, like five or six pairs of, of kettlebells of different weights. Good. Yeah, it's just fun to swing the swing the bell pretty good, and and like you said, for the conditioning type or the interval type stuff, you can just go and it's. You know, it's not too hard to to get the hang of. So. Yeah, it's with, with some of the things like, you know, the the swings. It's really pretty simple. I mean, within a couple of minutes, you you know, we can get uh, people at the gym, you know, doing a fairly reasonable one. You know, I'm, we're not uh, certified kettlebell uh, competitors or anything like that, but I think that the basics are there. And uh, someone asked me once if I was kettlebell certified, and um, I I think that's uh, I understand people that pursue it, and I think it's a great certification. But I think it's a real specialist thing that I don't really have much desire to to follow. But I uh, I still study from those guys. I talk to Pavel uh, regularly. I'm doing a seminar with with him soon. So uh, you know, it's he's a strong guy, man. He's he can move some weight. But I I really I think they're they're a lot of fun. I've got I got a couple of pairs at home too, actually. Yeah, just one last thing I'll say on that is my, I felt my grip has really improved um, from the kettlebell stuff and I'm going into doing some deadlifting in the gym. And I think that it's pretty much – I got a I got one 53-pounder and I, I borrowed a 70-pounder. So the 70-pounder is yeah. fun to throw around. What do you have to snatch for the test? Is it the 53? Yeah, snatch a 53. Um, as long as I stay under 200 pounds, which I should be able to do, then you have to do it 60 times. 
with uh, both hands. So you, I think generally the, the guys I've talked to um, recommend you do your weak hand first, and then you, you don't put it down. You uh, you do one uh, transition swing in between where you switch your hands, and then you got to combined you have to do 60. So you could do 25 and 35 or 30 oh, and 30 okay. or whatever. But you just have to do 60 total before you put the kettlebell back down for my weight anyways with that. Uh, and then it changes for gender and age and, and weight. So yeah, it's supposed to be I quite the uh, three-day event, so I am preparing myself yeah, I, for it. Yeah, I talked to Greg Cook and uh, who went went through it, and he said it was, it was pretty intense. Yeah, and it's... Uh, uh, I, I like the... I'm in two minds about the test. I like the whole kettlebell thing, but uh, I met a guy at a, a seminar who he he was in a wheelchair and he was an excellent trainer and he he couldn't snatch the weight in his wheelchair and I guess he was uh, they'd never really considered that before. No, because he uh, they didn't pass him, which I thought was a little unfair. Yeah. And uh, it's you know I, I could tell you that uh, I I respect that idea. Like you know, it's kind of like getting your black belt. You have to be able to to perform before you can teach. But I also know that I was lying in a hospital bed a year ago and I couldn't have passed a sit-up test, you know. But my brain didn't get any weaker, so I, I see both things there. Yeah, and then one other thing I'll say, like when you're talking about Pavel and his strength, I have uh, I have a subscription to his newsletter, um, his his um, hard copy newsletter. I think it's called Power to the People. It's pretty good. He uh, yeah. You get every month. Yeah, and, I get I get that also. That's a that's an excellent newsletter actually. Yeah, it's great. It's got good. I mean, he he just seems like a fun guy and uh, seems to know his stuff. And and I've, I've bought a couple of his books, The Beyond Bodybuilding and Enter the Kettlebell. And I think there's one other one. Oh, Power to the People book. Power I think. to the People. Yeah. Yeah. The stretching really ones stuff. are for martial arts guys. The Pavel stretching books are real good too, which are relaxing to stretch is the main one and strength stretching. I think. Uh, but you can probably check them out. Yeah. So that's all on dragondoor.com if anybody's interested. All right. So let's. Uh, why don't you tell me what's new and secretive about fat loss? Like, what do you, do you have anything new? Have you ran any new tests at your gym this year? And maybe you could explain like what you can do at your gym that most people can't do to learn stuff. Yeah. Well, we're there's um there's, there's very little new. You know, we're just I play with the details. Uh, we have a for those that 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 don't know, well, first of all, where the hell have you been? But uh, I have a, a gym that's uh, a little different. It's what we call a hybrid training center, and uh, it's a, an actual gym where people have memberships, but every member uh, has to meet with a coach at least once a week, and all their programs are designed by us, and all the results are monitored. So in the course of a of a year, we have 200 and something clients, let's just say 200 for for ease of doing the, the numbers, 200 people train on an average of let's say twice a week, uh, that's 400 workouts a week, you know, over the course of a, a year I see 20,000 uh, workouts and I can see the results of them, so if I change with a group of, say I got uh, female fat loss clients, I might have 20 at any one time starting a program. I can I can try little things and compare results. And uh, <clears throat> one that I uh, I think I sent you the results, Craig was um, 
I had sent uh, I put a, a group of people on one type of protein powder, and I put another group on another type of protein powder, with everything else being the same, and watched what happened to the uh, the fat loss results. And there was a there's an interesting uh, difference in that one one group they actually gained lean weight and lost fat. The other group gained no lean weight and actually lost about uh, lost a little more fat. But th there wasn't a real difference in terms of weight loss between the two groups, but there was a definite what one protein powder seemed to promote more lean mass gain than the other, and one seemed to promote a, an enhanced fat loss. I mean, it's completely unscientific, but there's enough of a trend that I it's things to look at so but just to get back to the these are the um this is really like the minutia you know if you've if you've got your program put together and you're doing everything right this is the stuff I get to play with when you're doing everything right to see if it has an effect it's very rare that that you need to to know this type of stuff you know yeah well it's good to know though it's interesting I mean that's Kind of one, well, definitely one thing that keeps it interesting. But it's uh, if you always want to learn, then it's good to have. All right. Well, what so, was interesting um, to me is that, that, that I mean, the the fat loss and muscle gain. You know, the, the total fat loss was was similar. What one group gained some muscle, but if you're working in the commercial environment, I had one group that lost more weight than the other. That's a, a massive commercial difference. You know, and it leads to happier clients who are looking for for weight loss. One that I can, you know, I can almost say this is the maximum amount of weight loss on using this. This one will promote a little more lean mass. Uh, other than that, I've not really been testing too much. I'm, I'm, uh, it, it's been the summer, so everyone's sort of peaked and, you know, relaxing a little bit over the summer. And we got our, we kind of moved to a more athletic population through the summer. Our training. Uh, they're, they're off season going back to school so nothing really n new and cutting edge I think uh, what I find is a, when we get back to basics like are you doing something that will elevate metabolism you know on a regular basis and I think there's still a lot of females in particular that have a hard time with the 5 to 6 meals a day you know once we like if I just pursue that with people the magic starts to happen, you know. <coughs> so, um, just going back to the protein stuff, was the one, was the one whey protein and the other one was a combination of whey protein and casein protein? Uh, both were were uh, one was a whey protein and casein blend. Yeah, uh, I can give the names if you want. Uh, is that good? well? Do you just do you, do you remember what the what, what the other yeah. one was? Yeah, what well, one was um, by Beverly International, which was a whey protein and casein blend. What did those people get? What did they get? They, they, they got, got about the same. They got about, I think it says 35 grams of... of no, but what protein. results did they get? That, that was the group that they lost. Uh, they, they gained the lean mass. And okay. Lost, they lost significant body fat, but the, the weight loss ended up being about 6 pounds. Okay. The other group was Biotest Metabolic Drive, which was Micellar Casein. Oh, okay. And they lost... They didn't gain any lean mass, um, and they lost, uh, I think, a total of, I want to say, between 12 to 14 pounds of, 
of uh, of fat. But I, I want to just say that the fat loss between the groups was really similar. Yeah. The 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 weight loss was different. So one seemed to be more anabolic, I guess, than the other. The the, the biggest difference um, is that the, the muscle provider was real thin. And they seemed to. I think there was a higher compliance drinking that actually. How many? How much did they have a day? Did they have one scoop, two scoops? It was. It was based on body weight, but it it rounded up being about I think about thirty grams of protein. Uh, and we did it as a as a post workout drink, oh, okay. but I don't think that would have made any difference because they were all only having one. Just one. Okay. But uh, th- there was, like I said, there was there was. Only about six in each group, so this isn't something I could take to science. There's too many flaws there, and there's so many things. But there, there was enough that I was seeing something. It's just, it, it's cool that I get to do these things with clients. Yeah. You know that it, I can, I can test things and see things that that happen. So, what? Um, just one of those interesting things. Yeah. Let's switch gears for a second and tell me what you see in your gym. Um, Let's think, talk about the motivation and the compliance and, you know, the mindset. Uh, you know, what do you see as being very common among the people that do the best in your gym that, uh, you know, whether it's athletes or people looking for fat loss, what what is it that separates them that, from people that do well but, you know, aren't the ones that are doing kick butt? Well, I think that, that motivation is that there's an intrinsic motivation, which is when they, they come in uh, – we're a fairly ex- expensive club to join, so th- they're usually pretty motivated to come in. Uh, the if things that I notice, the successful ones train at the same time every time they train. They train about the same time of day. Now, I don't think there's anything physiological in that, but what happens is they get to know the other people in the gym who are training at the same time, and the social support elevates. Okay. Which is huge. That I think, you know, if you're coming into the gym every day at 10 and I'm coming into the gym every day at 10 and we're both dieting, we're going to end up talking about, hey, how's it going? You know, did, did you, is your weight down this week? Are you a little leaner? And now you're not only accountable to yourself and to your coach, but you're also accountable to me who's on your team. You know, so I think that that uh, social support is huge and we... We really strive to have it that everyone in the gym is supporting you, uh, and all the team are supporting you. But I think if there was, if there were a sort of hidden piece of advice, that would be it. And that training at the same time of the day builds a consistency for you, but you also tend to meet very similar people. You know, who have, if you're a, if you're training at 11 in the morning at the gym. The, the people that are there at 11 in the morning tend to have similar finances to you or lifestyles because they're not at work either. You know, they're, they've just dropped the kids off and come over to the gym or they're professional. And uh, you, you get to meet like-minded people who are, who are motivated the same as you. And I think if I, if I give two people the same program and I had one person do it in their their house and one person do it in my gym just surrounded by other people training, I think the person in the gym would get better results because of the support system. And you don't need to go to the gym for that. I think that just enhances it. If you have a team of people behind you, you know, we, 
I've had females who've uh, come in at the gym and they've they've started training there and they've not told their husbands because they want to surprise them and get in shape, and rarely works. You know, their idea is that hey, we're going. I want to get in great shape, and my husband will say something, and when we're going on our vacation in two months, and I'm like, just the social support needs to be there from day one. I think. All right. Um, well, one of the main reasons I wanted to do the interview was uh, one of your little articles last week. You talked about uh, different repetition ranges or, you know, uh, high repetitions for fat loss. And, I mean, I always I always blather on about the eight reps per set, and then you talked about it a little bit differently, that at your facility you have found the best metabolic resistance training characteristics to be heavy resistance, go as heavy as possible within the set, Time under tension of 45 to 60 seconds, so you're not really even caring too much about the repetition number. Yeah. Uh, short incomplete rest periods and the use of set, uh, alternating sets or mini circuits or supersets or whatever you want to call it to maximize the work density. So why don't you um, maybe just explain that a little bit more because I thought it was pretty interesting and, and uh, I definitely got some ideas from it. Well, I think our, our uh, I just want to say first of all that I don't have any Whenever I write something, it always comes across as very absolute, and I'm not like that at all. So th- there is a place for heavier stuff, and there is a place for lighter stuff. But I think that our uh, a, a rep is just a measure of of time. If I give you six reps, and then I tell you to change to 12 reps, we're making an assumption that we're doing twice as much work in the 12-rep set. But if you speed up your reps... Uh, you might end up doing it in the same time as the six reps originally. This is sort of a defense of, of tempo training in that if I define what a bench press rep is, I'm showing you the range of motion. If you did half the range of motion, you'd be wrong. So I'm showing you how to do the rep. But if I tell you to do the rep slow with the pause, that's a completely different response to doing it as ballistically as possible. So there is a place for communicating what speed you want a rep to be done. So if we get the idea that a rep is just really a measure of time and distance moving away from point A to point B and back, then we can start to almost minimize how many reps. Maybe that's not the best way to look at it. Maybe just doing 30 to 40 to 50 seconds of work at a controlled cadence is what we're looking for. And I found that for metabolic work, uh, and this is not for for strength training, uh, metabolic work. A set getting up to to the forty second mark seems to be, you know, the direction we need to head. But doing longer than sixty seconds just becomes uh, it's too light, becomes very aerobic, and I don't get the same response. The mistake everyone makes is, I don't believe in going to failure, but I think you need to be fairly close. So if you say do eight reps. Occasionally, you should just see how many you can do, and you might find that you're getting 11 or 12, in which case you've been training way too light. You know, so it's I like to be fairly close to your limit when we choose these reps, and obviously certain exercises like, for example, a step up. A step up always has to be a fairly fast movement. So in order to get a a reasonable uh, length of of stimulus. We go a little higher reps with the step up. I mean, the same with uh, it's fairly easy to do a three-second 
a rep on a squat, but it's pretty hard to do a three-second negative on a on a step up. You know, you yeah. can't really do it. Uh, the same with, with some of the the other exercises. So, with them, the the, the idea of of targeting more of a time, you, you'd end up doing higher reps. So, that's that. And I uh, I think that the um, full for metabolic benefits for for as you do in, in turbulence training, that I think an incomplete recovery uh, is definitely the way to go. But without it being, I don't like to to say, hey, it's a 45-second rest and that's written in stone. It, if, you, if a minute and a half, you're still not fully recovered. That, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for you starting again as fresh as I can get you without having full recovery. Like I don't need you to just be so exhausted aerobically that you can't lift anything. That that would defeat the purpose, and that's just I'd just end up doing aerobic training if I was looking for that response. So the, it's the I think that the the study that I showed on my blog was was comparing a a more a, a much longer stimulus to a shorter stimulus. I mean, there, there's so many variables here to look at that you can't even be, begin to look at it. But that's the big picture, that's what I uh, see is there's a certain, there seems to be a, a sweet spot in terms of metabolic stimulus that we're, we're looking for. Cool. All right. Um, here's one of the questions that uh, from the members' board. A few people actually asked this one. It's completely different from everything we've been talking about. <clears throat> if someone does long, slow distance training uh, and they still think they need to eat the high carbs for the, to, you know, to fuel that, um, is that is that the only thing they can do if they they're on a fat loss program but they still want to do long slow distance training on the weekend like a long training session so it's you know it's a bit of a, a real hybrid training program they just want to know how they what's the best way for them to eat and, and maintain and they still want to lose fat but they want to have a great performance in the long slow distance training so they really want to do the two things at once here and if you had any recommendations on what they might consider. Yeah, it's interesting. My wife just did an Ironman race, and she tracked every minute of work that she did over the year, and assigned a caloric value to it. And based on the amount of aerobics that she did, she should have lost. I think it was seventy-five pounds. I think she lost like five. Uh, so it, it's what it's one of these things that if your goal is to do a long-distance event and your goal is to lose fat. I'm going to have to ask you to tell me which one's most important because there there are going to be times when we run into a decision that one has to be more important than the other. And there's nothing wrong with that, but the idea that a you know, a diet that would produce a greater loss in fat might hurt your running slightly and a diet that would improve your running might hurt your fat loss efforts. So it's really just the need to define that first of all. Um, I don't... I, I think there's an... And there's a lot of uh, triathletes and long-distance runners that eat a very low-carb diet. So I don't think you need to eat high-carb to fuel those efforts. You could just um, eat... And I, I recommend a reduced-carb diet. I, I still think the vegetables and fruit content should be as high as possible. So I think you would eat your, your normal diet, and you could probably use some nutrient timing around these longer workouts. Right. And I, I, I don't... I don't think there's a need to eat a high-carb diet for, I mean, you do, what are you going to do on a, a Saturday year-long run? You're going to do 15 miles? I mean, that's, 
1,500 calories or so, that's going to burn. So, you know, you don't, drinking, eating some, some cereal and toast before you go and, and drinking a sports drink during it is probably enough carbohydrate to fuel the entire thing. You know, you don't, you don't need to, to carb load to, to do these type of things. That's a, that's a myth, actually. So, it's, the, the first thing is to determine which is more important and, no one can decide that for you, and then you, you decide that oh, I enjoy my running. I'm never giving it up, and I want to perform well. Then it's goal number one. So fat loss is goal number two. So we just structure some nutrient timing around that workout, and I think you'll be fine. Great. Uh, how how was the whole Ironman event for Rachel? Well, but for me, I had to watch it. It was a long last day. <laughs> um, the the amount of of, uh, I mean, you, you obviously you're going to interview her later, so uh, she can give you more information. But the the she maintained her strength all the way through it. She trained very smart and did strength training and, and maintained that. And she finished in a uh, 12 hours 45 and looked completely fine at the end of it. You know, the uh, she you know most a lot of people were coming across the finish line and collapsing, and she just finished and was looked quite good. So. She's pretty strong doing it. Uh, the 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 amount of training is is the hard part. Like we were in a a good situation that we have a good team at, at Results Fitness. So, Rachel, I mean, last year obviously I wasn't I wasn't around much because I was in the hospital, and this year Rachel wasn't around much because she was on her bike or running or something. So it did take a lot of training, uh, and she did uh, she she did very well and you know recovered. Fairly easily, it seems so. Um, what the, really, what when you get your aerobic fitness up to a certain level, the difference between completing an Ironman and and not uh, is that it's actually your structural integrity. You know, can your joints handle it, and yeah. your nutrition? Can you fuel on the run? Because you know, once your aerobic system's developed, that you can run, you know, two and a half, three hours. There's really not a whole lot of aerobic training needed to go longer. You know, it's more like can your your body handle it? You know, can your can your joints and muscles handle it? And we we saw that with when Lance Armstrong did the marathon, he was a uh, you know he obviously had a VO2 max through the roof. And then when he did a marathon, he he didn't do a world class time because despite having the same cardio system, the muscular demand was completely different for him. So how many hours a week was Rachel training? Um. Twelve plus. She'll give you an exact, an exact figure. But it was one. I mean, it was a, the, towards the, the sort of latter part of it. You've got to put some hours in the bike. You know, you got to do long bike rides uh, just to get used to being in that position for a long. So, so I'd yeah. say twelve hours plus. I'm, I may be vastly underestimating that, but uh, I think I'm I'm about right. There's one day off each week, and I think there's one long day, and the rest were a couple hours each. Right. Okay, now we're gonna put you on the spot here, and I'm gonna okay. say uh, I'm gonna say one expert's name, and then you're gonna tell me the one thing, the best thing that you've ever learned from this person. Okay. And Mike Boyle. Mike Boyle. Um, the, and uh, Mike's a really smart guy. It's hard to pick one thing, but it would probably be a a bias towards. Uh, unilateral load in the lower body, single leg work, as opposed to, to bilateral work particularly. I think it burns, 
you do, I think it burns more calories, so it's metabolically better, and I think it's better for athletes. So it would be single leg training would be B1. Excellent. Jay Ferrucia. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the 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 real idea of uh, doing less work really, after I was sick, I really, I've always believed in low volume, but Jason really just, we were just talking one day and I said, I don't like being sore anymore. Like, I don't like feeling like, you know, I'm playing soccer with my nephew and I can barely move because I did legs the day before. I mean, that's not what, what I'm about. And Jason was a real, 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 real effective um, training program. It was real stripped down of volume. So I think I'd have to go, amongst other things, low volume with, with Jason. What about Dave Tate? Uh, Dave, I've learned more about the, about business from Dave Tate than, than most people could imagine. He's just a genius business person, and his his mindset, uh, how he how he translates some of the efforts he's had in the gym uh, to that. I think that the um, in terms of training, that there's a a misconception of what strong is. Uh, that was something Dave pointed out to me. Like in, in his world, five hundred pound squatters are weak guys. Yeah. And you know, in our I don't, world, I don't, need, I don't guy, need to be reminded of that. Uh, if you if you see a guy who's squatting four hundred pounds in most gyms, you think that's a strong guy. So yeah. If you're squatting, you know, two seventy five, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. And uh, Dave's idea was that the whole idea that that uh, the actual you know definition of what strength is changes according to your training crew so going to a different group of guys to, to train with will help you more than anything else you know the environment an environment of strong guys you'll improve your strength rapidly you know an environment of great fighters you'll get better at fighting an environment of super lean people you'll get leaner so this was about the environment in terms of training and, and the perception of strength but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention how much he's he helped me with my my business, and he was he was a good help to me when I was going through some of my treatment. Cause he he's a funny guy, man. He sends some funny emails. Well, I, I'll just go back to the one thing that you said that I've never I don't know if I've ever really thought about this um, or put it down on paper. And I mean, it's it's kind of an obvious point, but what you just said, if you train in an environment of lean people, you probably have a better chance of becoming a lean person yourself. So I think that is that might be one of the most obvious yet important take-home points for people that are members of the site or, or whoever listens yeah. to this. I mean, it, it just makes so much sense. In that, yeah, join uh, a gym where you're the fattest guy there, and you won't be for long. Right. That's your the pressure and the advice and the lifestyle you got. It's one of these things. If if you ever go out to breakfast and everybody orders like a, a bacon and cheese and sausage omelet and you just have a bacon and sausage omelet, you feel like you're winning, right? Because you're the leanest person there. You're eating better than everybody else. But if everybody there was eating an egg whites and steamed vegetables, you'd order something like that. So I think it, it crosses over that you're, you're – uh, when I was, was competing in martial arts, it, the school that we trained out of was – it was a badass place. Like you don't show up if you had a bad day because no one was going to take any pity on you. 
So I think that environment helped me. I think it's the same at Westside Barbell and in these places. And I think it'd be the same with them. You know, going training with a bunch of of, of not necessarily lean people, it's just leaner than you, or th- that environment breeds success. Totally. Yeah. So that's that's a very good point to anybody who's listening. If there's any way that you can possibly, you know, surround yourself with people that are a little bit further ahead than you, then you're probably going to try and catch up. It's probably human nature that you want to do as well as they do. So mm-hmm. um, that's very good. Uh, okay, next person is uh, Pavel. Pavel Satsulin or whatever his name is. Pavel, um, uh, she, he is, uh, he lives quite near me, so I, I see him regular. Um, the, it, you can't mention Pavel without talking about kettlebells, I don't think. And I think that it's a... Uh, it's a use, as we said earlier, it's a real useful tool that I think everybody should familiarize themselves with. I mean, it's a, I don't know how widespread it is in the U.S. or Canada, if you can find them in gyms, but I know my, my buddy Jason Brown did a seminar for Equinox, so there are some stuff, uh, there, there are some some tools out there. So I think Equinox, which is a, a chain of gyms over here, has kettlebells. So... I think the uh, it, it is hard to think of anything other than the kettlebell for Pavel, although he's a, a real strong guy and he's real flexible, and he he knows a lot of things. But I, you know, he brought the kettlebell to the United States, so I think that would have to be the the biggest thing. Okay. Next is John Berardi. I think John's biggest influence is going to be the the G flux principles. Uh, that was the of all the things I've heard, I've seen him live a couple of times, and I've, I've read a lot of his stuff. And I, I'm not doing him a disservice when I say that a lot of his stuff was common sense before, and then the G flux stuff was just. It was another one that made sense, but I'd never really thought of it. It's just if we could ramp up the system so that you eat more, you'll you know increase the thermic effect of feeding because you're eating more, and you'll burn more and you'll move more. And we're creating this machine that, you know, is maybe leaner and more muscular at 3,000 calories a day than it was at 2,000 calories a day. So John calls it energy flux or G-flux, which is really the idea that energy energy intake and energy output chase each other. And if you keep, you know, if you, you train, burning, eating 3,000 calories a day and burning 3,000 calories a day has a different physiological effect than eating a thousand and burning a thousand, even though the the num the pure mathematics ends up being the same. So it's I think like that the calories not a calorie sort of thing. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. That it's a, that that the 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 process of of eating more and exercising more is you know is, and there's obviously going to be an upper limit to that. But that idea, I think, was uh, that that broke the mold for a lot of of what I was doing with, with clients that, you know, rather than, than create an additional caloric deficit, I added calories and I, I was I was starting to add 200 calories and 200 calories of just, you know, lighter aerobic activity. And then seeing an enhanced fat loss effect despite there being no change in the total caloric level. So that would be, uh, that would be JB's one would be the, the G-flux principles. That's good. That's good. I was I was worried you were going to say the compliance grid because I've 
you know, harped on that so many times since I started. Actually, though, I gotta, I just want to go out on that for a minute. Still, that's going to be most people's biggest problem is we have people showing up every week to be have their body fat measured, and you'll find that maybe they follow the plan 80%. And at 80%, it, whatever happens is a fluke. You know, you're at, at that point, I can't tell whether the plan is working or not. If you're following the plan at 90% plus, as John recommends on the compliance grid, then uh, I can tell how well the plan's working, whether it changes or not. Um, for trainers who are listening, if your clients are not getting a 90% compliance, give them an easier plan because it's, it's easier to adjust when you're getting that kind of compliance than it is when you're, if you're not getting compliance, you're just guessing. So the compliance grade was, was good, but the G-Flux stuff is just the biggest thing I learned from it. Good. Uh, next one is Bill Hartman. Bill could be the smartest man there's ever been. Not just smart. the smartest man in fitness. We're not we're uh, not we're not BSing people when we call him the smartest. No, man. Uh, he just talks to them. It's ridiculous. I'm I'm as as you're aware, Craig. We can pretty much we can get in touch with anybody we want in the fitness industry, and we'll usually get our phone call through or our, our email through. And and uh, but I'm telling you, Bill is uh, one of the sharpest guys ever. Uh, Bill, it's all kind of it's weird. It's all minor stuff like how to hold my hands when I'm doing it cable roll and things and like doing we were in a we were used to do face pulls to the neck uh, and Bill had us change our grip so that when we pulled it we went into external rotation at the top and uh, my poundage for the roll went down and my bench press went shooting up because my shoulders were more stable some of the the stuff that uh, Bill was doing an auto regulation mm -hmm. where you're you determine how many sets you do just by how you drop off. I thought it was pretty pretty cool. Uh, a lot of it was just real sort of, you know, almost therapy to rehab stuff, but it still had a, a place. And just, he, I had an injury once, and Bill fixed me over the phone. I called him, and I said, here's what's going. He's all right, stick your fingers in here. Does that hurt? I'm like, yeah. He goes, all right, lift your leg like this can, and count how long you can hold it. And he goes, you'll probably get about four seconds. And I got like five I'm like, dude, you fixed me on the phone. You didn't even see me. Like, that's insane. So with him, it's it's hard to pick one thing. Just say, um, it's cool that I have his phone number. Yeah. And I can ask him a lot of things. All right, next one, second to last here, Dax Moy. Uh, Dax is um, some of the, the the business stuff that I see Dax doing is pretty smart. In terms of training, I really like the elimination diet that he uses, which is really eliminating everything processed for a period of time. Uh, with no, the, the best phrase I, I heard as regards training came from Dax actually, which is most of us are looking to increase the results by by pushing down on the accelerator, and it goes, it's like driving a car with the brake on. If you release the brake, everything that you you realize that maybe you're doing everything right, but you have this one thing blocking you. So sometimes it's it's better to take time to identify the brakes that you're putting on yourself rather than looking for ways to accelerate results. 
like the like a, a great one would be, you know, you're doing a you're doing resistance training plus interval training, you know, four days a week, just perfect. You you think your calories are right, that you're never you're always training on an empty stomach. Just putting in you know like a a yogurt before you go to the gym might give you enough energy to train harder to kick in that G flux and you know accelerate your results. So it's sometimes you're looking at what you're doing and where the breaks are. That's a, a phrase I got from from Dax. Uh, it's also he's in a country that really hasn't embraced fitness, and he's he kind of owns the country in terms of, of fitness training. So that's that uh, like he he's he's clearly doing things right. He has a he has an attitude very similar to to mine, and that there's you, there's a lot of training modalities that you can use and and apply. So. Uh, but I think at that, that point where I met Dax in my career, I, I asked him more business stuff. So yeah. it's hard to give a, a training recommendation, but the, the taking the brakes off of your program is something that just that kind of hit home. And I was like, yeah, I bet. I bet with anybody that I analyze, there's, there's there's one thing holding everything back that I need to get rid of that and everything good. And sometimes it's lack of social support. Once you put that in, everything accelerates. Huh? Cool. All right. Before I, have, I'm gonna have one more person, but before I ask you for that one, I just realized that every single person I just asked you about there was um, a guy. So, do you think this is a kind of an off-topic question? Why is it just the people that I that I read, or why isn't there more females on my list? I guess like. Uh, um, yeah. Am I ignoring the females, or do we just need to hear no, from them more? I, it's something that we we actually, when I hire staff, I try to hire an even mix of males and females. But I'll be honest, and I'm, I, I don't see very many qualified females coming through my gym either. I don't, I, I don't meet as many at seminars. Uh, there are some that are amazing. There's some great ones. But I, uh, I think there's a... There is a shortage of them. I think maybe it's because a lot of females tend to come through the aerobic uh, dance uh, exercise class side of things often, yeah. and they, they they don't really move into personal training and stuff. And I I I mean I'm completely hypothesizing right now, but I've only I've got a a girl that works for me right now who's good. I think Rachel's pretty smart. Uh, Valerie Waters is smart. Uh, Lee Peel, I read some of her stuff. She seems pretty good. Cassandra Forsyth seems smart. So th- there are good girls out there, but I think you're, th- they're compared to males. There's a, there is a shortage for. Uh, there's absolutely no reason at all why that should be. There, there's no, you know, there's no sex difference in in the, the job that we do. There shouldn't be just as many females as males. All right, so the last person, and then the last one, and uh, we'll wrap it up, is uh, Rachel. So what's, the, what's the most important thing um, that you've learned from Well, obviously being married, when when you you uh, give your marriage vows and say, uh, till death us do part, and in sickness and in health, you know, being hooked up to a, a machine with a chemo drip for weeks is probably not, that would probably be an exception. Most courts would give you that as an exception. So, uh, you know, when the, the doctor tells you you have cancer, your your world changes. And then when you're in the hospital and you, the doctor 
asks you what religion you are and whether you should get a priest or a minister on standby, that shakes you up a bit. So, I mean, most people would collapse. Rachel did a triathlon and raised 10000 for cancer research and continued doing uh, triathlons for you know several years and just finished an Ironman. So the one thing I learned from her is just she's an amazingly, she's a far stronger person than I am. And when she sets her mind to something, she'll do it. And we've been a good compliment to each other in the business. So uh, in terms of, of training, I think uh, I think there is a unique perspective that that females bring. Like I, I remember saying something about you know we we shouldn't do we should do more front squatting in the gym than back squatting. She's like, ah, it just hurts females a lot. And I was like, what do you mean? Because just the bar on the clavicle is just really uncomfortable for most females. You're like, I didn't, you know, I didn't even think of that. So we we started implementing different ways of doing certain exercises, and you know, we're able to load people a lot heavier because they weren't uncomfortable. And just, it's, uh, you know, it's also we did a bodyweight training DVD that you've probably seen, Craig, where Rachel does about a dozen chin-ups. So yeah. You can do she can do a dozen chin ups and she did uh as a challenge at the gym she did ten pistol squats holding a kettlebell on an Airx pad the other day just to show that she was still strong, which is if you see some of the Steve Cotter videos, I, I think pistols and things like that are like that's more impressive to me than a, a six hundred, seven hundred pound squat, you know. So I think that uh, uh She's a she's a, a very tough person, and I think that uh, uh, and I, I love her to death, and I think that, that she showed me that females can be strong as they want to be. You know, she's she's very strong and maintains a a feminine physique, so it can be done. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, man. I think this was. Uh, I mean, every time I interview, it's better and better, and this was probably the best one so far. So, thank you very much, Mr. Cosgrove, for holding that. Cool. Thanks, here. bud. All right, and uh, whatever, I'll talk to you whenever. All right, bud. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Alan Cosgrove from alancosgrove.com. This is Craig Ballantyne from com, and uh, we'll see you on the forums. Bye-bye.